Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, welcome everybody. Uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Male Energy Day. <laughs> Whether you happen to be anyone who takes on that role, you know, um, male or female, just celebrating that, that energy. That protector, provider energy. So, we're going to talk a little bit today about the common misconceptions. Um, I kind of lied, though, um, maybe a little bit more of the uncommon myths, or myths on meditation. We started uh, the Wednesday night group. Um, we're going through the book Real Happiness by um, Sharon Salzberg. We talked a little bit. They had a little section there on Wednesday um, about the myths of meditation. And um, that kind of got me thinking on the topic and... And maybe we can go into some deeper, and go review maybe the, the common myths that everybody kind of starts with. But then it's actually quite big when we think about what our mind does on top of the practice is kind of everything, you know, because the practice itself is very simple, but we make it very difficult, you know. Um, so we can kind of talk about how that works and maybe unravel that together a little bit. Um, I think I just wrote down a few. Let me all go through real, real quickly kind of the common myths. Um, <clears throat> meditation is supposed to be peaceful. Is meditation peaceful? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, meditation can be peaceful. I like in meditation, people say, well, what's meditation like? Um, or I'm struggling, or this and that. I said, you know, it's kind of like a runner's high. Uh, is running enjoyable when you start? <laughs> most, not for most people, um, it's not. But uh, you can get to a point where you could reach a, runner, a runner's high. It's really enjoyable. And then how do you reach a runner's high? Run. 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 <laughs> <laughs> run. Can you force a runner's high? No, can you have a runner's high then the next time you run? Can you, like, I'm, can you expect to have another one, another runner's high? No. You just run. So meditation is a lot like this, is that how do you, how do you find this um, inner contentment? Can it, can it be peaceful? Yes. Um, but it has to come just from naturally arising. Yeah. And it's going to suck maybe the majority of the time until you maybe get a little bit of balance with it. Or it can, or it cannot, right? It can be very peaceful and very blissful, or it can't, you know, just being open to whatever that experience is, that's going to give you the best opportunity to experience um, the peaceful side of it, if you will. So that's a common misconception. Another common misconception is uh, that you're supposed to stop the thoughts 
and this can, this could actually go. This is actually gonna, there's different types of doubt, you know, or myths. Um, there's almost like an advanced myth, like there's beginner myths and advanced myths, <laughs> if you will. You know, it's kind of like if you're if you progress a sport or something like somebody just turning professional. You know, like let's say the NBA guy just turns professional NBA and he's like, well, I'm a pro, you know, like, I'm awesome, I'm professional. But then there's some Michael Jordan type of guy on the court and he's like, wow, I don't know if I ever can get there, you know. So continually we need to revisit, like, what are we bringing to the meditation? Are we bringing in a sense of, a sense of doubt or a sense of resistance? This is, these are all foundational, yet they need to be revisited all the time because if you meditate, um, like sometimes I'm embarrassed to tell people how long I've been meditating because I think I should be further along, you know, like <laughs> you think, oh, if you've been meditating that long, when you close your eyes, you should be all peaceful. No, like crazy monkey mind, you know, same thing. And so you could build resistance to say, hey, I've been meditating this long and my mind should be peaceful by now and things like this. So it's, um, it's good to re revisit what we're bringing into the meditation over and over again. Like my, my, my mind should be still. Is that true? You know, your mind is going to be your mind, right? Um, yeah, it should be peaceful. The mind should be still. These are you know common misconceptions. Uh, we talked one on Wednesday night about it's religious or not. No, it's just our minds, things like this. But when I think about myths, um, in this way, this category that, that comes up to me is, is view. So in the major categories of the path, uh, from the Mahayana standpoint, is right view, right meditation, right conduct. So these are big major pieces. So the right view is the most important piece, and this kind of goes along with it, the view of what we're bringing into the meditation. And view is the, the most important piece, because this is our destination. So depending on what our view is, our meditation is going to support that and lead us towards that in, that, in that direction, right? And then the conduct piece is the body, speech, and mind, our right actions. What are we doing, right? So it's the conduct piece. And then, of course, both of those stabilize the meditation, which goes to the very end of the path, which is the fruit. So right view, right meditation, right conduct. So right view is the most important one, but it's also the most difficult one, especially in the beginning to kind of comprehend. And because of this, we can get caught up in a lot of doubt. So I want to really talk about that for a moment. And then how can we pierce through that doubt and kind of move away from right view in a way? <laughs> we need right view to get out of right view. Um, what's... Does anyone kind of give me an example or a little thought about right view in, in Buddhism, like what this means? It's kind of can be obscure a little bit. Sure. I'll try. Sure. <laughs> um, I forgot the name of the woman who, who came and taught a few weeks ago, but she talked about right view. LC. Yeah. yeah. And she talked about that you that's what you have first. And yes. it's the idea that, you know, about... Um, there's no good and there's no bad. It's all, it's, you know, about equanimity. Mm -hmm. I guess that's, that's all I have to say. Good. 
Yeah. So there's an ultimate that goes along with this. There's an ultimate right view, which is in Buddhism called emptiness, you know, which is this no, no good, no bad, that everything is empty of inherent existence and that we impute labels on top of it. But it's much like quantum physics that, yes, there's a table here, but the table's just vibrating at different energy, that everything is, is energy, but we kind of draw lines around it. So the, the topic of right view is very, very broad and very big. Um, and yet this, this um, conceptual understanding of, of emptiness puts us on the right path, so therefore we're not trying to construct anything around our meditation. Right? We're, not trying, we're, we're set to, to not um, experience something false. So it puts us on the right course if we have a good understanding of right view. So that actual piece I want to throw out for now because getting stuck on this could actually um, impede our direct, um, our here and our experience of meditation. So I heard Gil Francel say something in relation to this one time. I'll actually read it, exactly what he said. Um, and this is, this is exactly how I feel about the about our motivation and our right view into the day-to-day practice. And he said, um, the means of practice should reflect the goal. He said this pertaining to right view. The means of the practice should reflect the goal. So very simply. So if, if we're headed towards peace, so what do we want? What's that fruition piece? What do we want out of meditation? We want... <laughs> we want um, we want we want peacefulness. Yeah, we want contentment. We want equanimity. We want um, you know calm. All these things. So, and again, this goes into that that the Vajrayana path, the resultant path I talked about a couple weeks ago. Then that's what we take into our practice. That's right view. If we want peace. We come to the meditation with peace, right? If we want contentment to arise, love to arise, this is what we bring into the practice. So this is what we bring into the meditation. It's so much about attitude. The attitude of our practice is so, so big. You think about the the practice itself of meditation. Let's say you could spend a lifetime just focusing on your abdomen. It's so simple, right? Just recognize the sensations caused by the movement of breath in your abdomen. And when your mind wanders, notice and bring it back. That's the whole meditation practice for a lot of Theravada monks. That's it. That's simple. But your attitude, what you bring into this, is everything else. Like Everything else is that. Are you bringing striving... Are you bringing, you know, tons of like this strong effort? Are you bringing in doubt? Are you bringing in, you know, I only have 10 minutes, I'll never make it to Buddhahood, you know? Like, (laughs) you know, like I wish I could do more. Do I need to do more? You know, are you bringing in comparing mind? Someone else is doing more, you know? 
What attitude are you meeting your practice with? This is really it, you know? This is right view right then and now. That's right view. <coughs> right view is the resultant path of taking the result as the path. Uh, Wayne Dreyer used to say, whatever you think about expands. Like, whatever you think about expands. And um, even, even very down, I love this because you can really dissect this, like, I need to meditate more. The need to meditate more will expand. <laughs> I need to meditate more. So we could even do, do like, like self-help affirmations, like, I meditate enough. <laughs> meditation but it is and I've told this story before but it's a, it just goes right along with this but when I was chatting with Lama Suradas one time and I said Lama you know I'd love to do long retreat with you one, one day and he says why long retreat it could happen in a moment like why do you want to go on long retreat but again that's my you know my conceptual mind my Im imputation of Oh, it must take a long time. I, you know, you hear about all the stories, like we got to go sit long retreat, and this and that. It's an attitude, and that attitude is doubt. You know, the, the harshest of all the hindrances is doubt. The most dangerous one. This is the mud in the water. You know, we have attachment, aversion, worry, laziness, doubt. Doubt's the worst. Because that's the absolute opposite of right view. Right view is you're already a Buddha. Already. There's nothing to do, we just haven't recognized it. Right view. So doubt's the worst. And I, I, you know, we bring in doubt in all these different ways. We doubt the path, we doubt our technique. Okay, I'll say I. <laughs> I've doubted my the path, I've doubted my technique, I've doubted my ability to actually you know, do the technique effectively, my sustainability of the practice. I mean, all kinds of doubt, all, all kinds. And still, and still do it. I still watch the mind, you know. I was sitting in retreat with, um, with Beth Sternlim uh, from inside LA. And we get this question a lot, especially in retreats, is how, how much do you guys meditate, like the teachers and whatnot? And she's like, it doesn't matter because it's never enough. <laughs> <laughs> never enough but that and she did it kind of jokingly in that that's the comparing mind again this is what we think yes. oh I got to do it like this and what whatnot and and this is the exact thing that creates the barrier for us not to see the true nature of mind that's the actual barrier that this is it all the dogma around it all the conceptualizing conceptualizing all the intellectualizing all everything around it that's what we're piercing through. So this is why I wanted to throw out right view for a moment, because even the thought, I don't know what the heck that is. <laughs> or when am I going to find it? All of that. How do you get a runner's high? Run. How do you recognize your true nature? The techniques are there. Breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. So simple. So simple. Incredibly simple. 
So um, I'm going to read a little definition of meditation, the essence of meditation from one of my teachers, Mingur Rinpoche. Awareness is the essence of meditation. Says, as Mingur Rinpoche often says, awareness is the essence of meditation. What he means is that practicing meditation is a process of exploring the heart and mind, of fully experiencing the richness of awareness itself. This implies that meditation is not meant to eliminate the thing we don't like about ourselves or even to become better people. Meditation helps us to see that we already are whole and complete. It is a practical tool that enables us to get in touch with our true nature. The path of meditation unfolds in two stages. We begin by recognizing that the nature of awareness is fundamentally good and pure and that it is the source of true and lasting happiness. Once we have directly experienced the basic goodness of awareness, the path of meditation then consists of nurturing this recognition and allowing the qualities of awareness to manifest fully. So again, I'm going to say this. We begin by recognizing the nature of awareness is fundamentally good and pure. And this awareness is the negation of this conceptual overlay, just pure, bare awareness. And that it is the source of true and lasting happiness. Once we have directly experienced this, which we can in a moment, the basic goodness of awareness, the path of meditation consists of nurturing this recognition, so resting in this, they would call this rigpa, resting in the recognition and allowing the qualities of awareness to manifest fully. I love this attentiveness because if you say somebody, you know, how do you, what are the qualities or how well do you know sadness? How well do you know frustration? How well do you know anger? How well do you know doubt? Like a lot of these we hang out with all the time. Like we chill with anger like a lot <laughs> or sadness or, or frustration or something. So we get to know these things very intimately. So this resting is no different. This resting in awareness is no different. It's just very subtle. Because sensations of body and mind are very strong. So it's very easy to be attentive to a strong sensation in the body. Or a strong emotion. The stronger the emotion, the more attentive we can become. And it kind of overtake us. It can overtake us like anxiety overtakes us. To, to the point where we can't focus on anything else. If we have really bad anxieties, for an example, or chronic pain, it's almost like we're, we're amazing meditators. <laughs> like we're like single-pointed concentration <laughs> on anxiety. You know, we can become very good at that. This is no difference. We're just hanging out with, and again, so we're not looking, we're not really drawing anything out of it. We're just resting in it. It's arising. It's showing us those seeds of forgiveness, of compassion, of serenity, of, of contentment, of tranquility, of equanimity. Those are seeds already there. We water those seeds just through attention. Then they, they, they start to sprout just by being with them. There's nothing to do there. Yeah, they cultivate on their own. The path of meditation can thus be summed up in these two aspects. Recognizing our true nature 
and nurturing this recognition until it becomes a living experience throughout our lives. And I wanted to do some meditation now in this way, um, but I'll end with the Suzuki Roshi quote. Somebody asked Suzuki Roshi, if I do this practice, will I get enlightened? Roshi said, if your practice is sincere, it's almost as good. <laughs> so, again, talking about the attitude that we bring into it. Will I reach enlightenment? He kind of threw that out, this kind of like ultimate realization of ultimate view. He threw that out for a moment because he wanted that student, you know, just to be right here. Well, maybe the student, you know, couldn't be that for that moment, that ultimate. But if your practice is sincere, it's almost good enough. See that, now that we could take into right here, we can come to that sincerity in our practice. So I, w I want to do a, a meditation, and this meditation is more, um, we call it objectless shamatha, just resting. This is the precursor to like Zogchen. Um, so this is one we do right before. Um, and th this, is a, this is a great, it's a very subtle practice. It's going to feel like nothing's going on. <laughs> right? It's a very subtle, very open, very loose container. One of the directions that Sokni Rinpoche gives um, is don't meditate, but don't be distracted. <laughs> yeah? So here we're throwing out meditation. We're throwing out the meditator, hopefully. <laughs> we're just kind of throwing out all of the, all of the things on the, on the perimeter, on the peripheral just staying with the essence. So allowing yourself to come into a comfortable position it doesn't need, need to be even a quote-unquote meditative position. Kind of throwing out the rules here for a moment. And again, because we don't need to be anything to be ourselves. Allowing the eyes to close if that's comfortable for you. So becoming aware of awareness. This is the basic acknowledgement that you're alive and that you're breathing. The simple faculty of mind that knows that you're here. That which is aware of sound. The same awareness is aware of sensations in your body. The same awareness that can watch a thought coming and going. Watch the train of thoughts racing through the mind. 
So noticing awareness and noticing that which awareness is looking at. There's awareness and then the awareness is looking at sensations in the body. Keep holding on to this awareness. Now watching that phenomena arise within this awareness, sound arises in this awareness, abides and then falls away. Awareness remains. As long as you recognize it, awareness is always there. Thoughts come and go. Sensations come and go. Sound can come and go. Your anchor here is awareness itself. So returning, if you feel lost, Back in, if you feel lost in thought, contemplation, coming back to awareness itself. Now, since awareness is naturally arising, there's nothing for you to do, nothing to cultivate. And even your effort is really not effort. All you all you're doing is looking. Does it take any effort to look at something? So doing your best just to rest in awareness. resisting anything passing through your awareness, allowing everything in, allowing everything out.
And now just looking at this awareness, and again, you don't need to think about this at all, just checking in. Your awareness itself, does it have an ending? Does it have any boundaries? Where does your awareness end? Allowing your, yourself to blend with the vastness of that awareness. Letting thoughts come and go. Try not to conceptualize it. Just experience it. Falling back into the knower. There's the knower, this awareness, and what is known. You can continue to notice the difference. What is known, like a sensation in the body, and the knower of what is known, this awareness. And keep marinating in awareness itself. Letting everything in, letting everything out. Awareness, in awareness, everything, the sound of my voice, or sensations in the body, or sound, everything is accepted unconditionally. Innate in this awareness. Is this openness, this kindness?
I'm going to ring the bell in a moment and just listen to how this sound arises within awareness just like everything else has been arising, abiding and falling away. So hanging on to the awareness and maybe just look, where does the sound meet awareness? Does awareness go out and meet the sound? Does the sound come into awareness? Is a sound into your body? Where do you actually hear it? In your body? Where in your body? Just looking into this mingling of awareness and sound. Don't lose awareness. You could open your eyes. Awareness is watching body. Open up the eyes. Move. Look around. But notice awareness still there. Right? Doesn't matter if we're moving. Meditation. Post meditation. Same. Yeah. Awareness is still there, so we're just shifting what we're aware of. So now we're awareness looking at something visual, still there. So, also with this practice, there's no such thing as meditation post meditation, right? It's just, it's just this. So, meditation is 24 7. All we need to do is not lose this awareness. But what do we do in meditation? We lose the object, notice that we lost the object, and come back. Same thing with this, but we're just coming back to something very subtle, which is awareness itself. Just coming back. So here, there's, there's absolutely no difference between sitting meditation, walking meditation, uh, yelling at your partner meditation, <laughs> um, stuck in traffic meditation, I'm overeating meditation, no difference. True nature is always there. Returning, staying, returning, staying. It's very subtle, so it's hard. It's, just that it's hard because it's too easy. I mean, Grand Prix would always say, it's hard because it's too close. It's not that it's too far away. It's not that it's too, like it's unattainable. It's too close. That you can't see it. And, and that closeness and this further, for, like further awayness is what I've been talking about, how what we put on top of it. Like this is what separates us out, is our mind thinking, oh, I have to be like this or do it like this or I got to sit for a long time. I'm not sitting enough or... See, that, it just keeps growing. The more that we think we need to do, the bigger the bridge between what we actually already are. We just keep, it just keeps growing. 
So we just throw all this out. We already are what we're seeking. It's just this. So take a step back. What's looking at? The knower and the known. What's the knower? What's the known? We live in the known. We jump from one to the other. One thought, emotion, body sensation to the other all day long. But rec what recognizes that? And I'll end with this before we go into like partnering up or something. Is that um, it's so interesting how we try to find firm ground on that which is impermanent. We try to find safety in that which is impermanent. And when we move into awareness, it, we feel unstable, which is so weird. <laughs> we lose a sense of groundlessness. Emptiness is the firmest ground you could stand on. It's permanently there. So when you start to feel yourself, maybe in a sense of groundlessness, Groundlessness. Remember to turn up the volume on love and compassion, which is innately there in awareness. And recognize this is a stable home base. That which I'm grasping onto is always slipping away. Why would I grab onto that? That's gone. The more we come home to awareness, the qualities of awareness start to ripen, and then it feels like there's something because... Emptiness is not nothingness. It's no thingness. But it doesn't mean it's not something. It's not there. It's not. It's something you can't describe, but it's definitely. Like you can't just describe presence. But presence is there. Yeah. <laughs> You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.